Hi, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance Sir. Thank you ever so much for listening. This is episode 228, and we've got a lot of cover to cover, of cover to cover today. So, first of all, we're going to be looking at the Delta variant uh, rising in the UK, and we're going to be looking at the new symptoms to look out for, which is quite interesting. And we are going to be looking at the Daniel Morgan case, which is a very interesting case. Uh, talk about police corruption, bloody met police corruption. So we'll be uh, looking at that briefly. Now, after Sigaros, Paranormal Blip, uh, Jeremy Corbell talks metamaterials. Uh, but also, of course, we had that incredible match of football, didn't we? Yeah, on Friday between England and Scotland and it wasn't very interesting I've never really watched football but I did watch about half of this game because it was on the Friday night the Friday night and it was bloody nil-nil so what does that mean? it means that they can both go through to the next round if they get their shit together but that's uh, good for Scotland but not so good for England I mean, you know, we England were expecting to win But as you probably know, if you listen to this, my mother was Scottish and my father was English. So I was quite kind of, you know, torn. Torn and also not really giving a shit as well. So whatever that kind of torn is. Uh, But this Scotsman was very happy. On Scotland, we can do this Tuesday night now. We're going to do it. Three points again, Croatia. And we're in the last 16. Come on, Scotland! Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? So the Delta variant is um, fueling cases going up in the UK. And in the last seven days, they've gone up by um, 33% which is not good. Um, So last seven days, 63,000. So that's that's not great. But apparently that's uh, slightly better than people were expecting. So it looks like uh, they may start to be having a, they may start to be having a effect of a kind of vaccine protection effect in terms of Uh, you know, people not getting it in the first place, or certainly people not getting it and not getting any symptoms to the point where they start to worry about it and then get to get a, um, you know, test. Um, Having said that, though, you know, deaths are up by 23% over the last seven days, and uh, hospitalizations are up in terms of patients admitted. That's up by 39%. 0.6%, so nearly 40% up in the last seven days. Now, we also know, obviously, there's a 10-day period on average between people, um, you know, getting a positive case and then going to hospital, and then there's a couple of weeks at least, if not three weeks, before that hits the death figures. As I, It's quite a callous way of putting it, isn't it? So, you know, the last um, seven days... 74 people have died of COVID-19 within 28 days, by the way. So, of course, it would be longer for the people that, um, 
you know, caught COVID-19 um, over 28 days ago. Long, not longer, but more. Longer! Now, how are we doing with the vaccine? Well, we're still ticking up, but the vaccine, the rate of people being vaccined um, is dipping, has gone down, and it has it's never really recovered since the beginning of April, and now we're in the middle of June, or kind of like towards the last 10 days of June, and we never really got to that kind of stage where we were, you know, vaccinating um, two and a half million, three million people a week. And we need to continue with that. Uh, as it stands, uh, the adult population of the UK, 59% of people have been vaccinated twice. 81% of people have been vaccinated once. But the difference is stark in terms of where you live in the country. So, for instance, where I live in the country, a whopping 66.5% uh, of people over the age of 18 have been vaccinated twice. So that's two thirds of people, of adults, have been vaccinated twice. That's not bad. And 83% have been vaccinated once. And I know, you know, I've spoken about people in their in their mid-twenties are getting their first vac uh, vaccinations here in Devon. So we are kind of like on top of it. But if you compare that to London, for instance, whereby London is an area where they are, um, I think it's the, the place where the vaccinations are at their lowest for lots and lots of different reasons. So just as an example, let's take central Westminster, where there isn't a huge population in central Westminster, probably a couple of, you know, billionaires. But in terms of the um, uh, vaccination rates for that, you know, Westminster area, it's 30% for the second dose and not even 50% yet, just under 50%, 49.8% for the first dose. So you can see a massive difference there. And if you compare it to Lambeth, which is, uh, you know, very populous part of South London where I used to live, um, Lambeth is just slightly better. 31% have been vaccinated twice and 52% vaccinated um, once. So there's lots of them. And Lambeth are actually an outstanding uh, council in terms of their testing. So if anybody, you'd expect Lambeth to kind of be on top of it with the vaccination as well. Um, but it's just because of, you know, lots of different reasons. Partly, it's just far more difficult to... Uh, kind of roll out a vaccination program in big cities but also the number of people that are over the age of 70 who live in Devon is much much bigger than the number of people who live who are over the age of 70 in, in Lambeth or in Westminster as well so that's a big big part of why Devon is so ahead um, so but you know it's it, it's interesting all of that but basically the uh, putting off the um, continuing of the easing is just a kind of basic requirement. I mean, really, you know, we, we need to kind of have many, many more people have their second vaccine. And looking at the, looking at the seven day average for um, say for instance, the 6th of June or the 5th of June, that was uh, 352. The last time that they've calculated this seven-day average 
which was around about last about five days ago, 230,000. So that's dropping, you know, 100,000, more than 100,000 within uh, a 10 day period. Yep. So that's the kind of, on the seven day average. So it's going the wrong way. You know, this is the second doses. We know that they've kind of taken their foot off the off the um, first doses in the last couple of months because they want to get the second doses up. Um, but we haven't had a blockbuster day for the second doses for a long, long time. In fact, we've barely scraped 300,000 per day um, in the last, uh, since the 13th of June. In fact, since the 13th of June, we've come nowhere near 300,000 per day. And that used to be a weekly thing, like at, at least um, three or four times a week, you you would expect to get 300,000 per day. And we haven't had that for a good couple of weeks. So that shows you that there's a lot still to be done in the vaccination. And I know it's all kind of, you know, comparative. And if you're living in a part of the world where you don't have any fucking vaccinations, you know what I mean? You're thinking, fucking, how golden would you like your eggs, sir? That's exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> but essentially the point is that, you know, when you're, it's now um, in the, the whole of the UK, if you're, over the age of 18, you can book your vaccine. And we have had a huge amount of people doing that over the last couple of days. Apparently 700,000 people uh, between, you know, 18 and what, the mid-20s have booked their vaccines like in one day, which is brilliant, you know, really, really good. But, you know, the uh, rate of getting the vaccines in the arms has dipped you know, kind of significantly, really, considering so much is bloody hanging on this. Now, the jury's still out in terms of the effectiveness or, or, you know, how effective a double vaccine is. We do know that people are dying when they've got um, uh, two vaccines in their system, you know, two inoculations, whatever they're called. But uh, those people are, you know, probably always going to die of something in like you know quite soon you know so they're probably very frail people and you know essentially at the end of their life you know very old and very frail at the same time though there hasn't been any more uh, data looking specifically at the um, efficacy of double vaccines since I spoke to you last week and so I'm still waiting to hear you know kind of what's what's going on say for instance what I could find in the last couple of days is information about 800 people getting into the hospital and the PHE bloody write-up and it said only 80 of those were uh, vaccinated twice. Well, I think that's, I mean, 10% is quite a lot, it seems to me, you know. So I wouldn't say only. If you've got 80 people in hospital who have been vaccinated twice, it seems quite a high number. Now, I know, obviously... You know, not all of those people are going to die. But at the same time, the the people that are dying, there's a good chance that some of them, well, we know that some of them have been um, vaccinated twice. So I'm still waiting for that data and, it, and hopefully that will come soon. And they are hinting that, like the news story last, you know, 24 hours or so, have been that people who have had double vaccinations can start to look forward to going on holiday 
And if they do get COVID-19, they don't need to be uh, self-isolating for 10 days, which, by the way, on that, the rate of people self-isolating, because there's no fucking checks. Like, that's just totally dropped off anyway. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people just think it's over and it's done for. And, you know, it's the sun's out and you can see your friends and the pubs are open. And I think a lot of people are just kind of getting on with it, you know. They've got their vaccinations and they're just like, oh, great, fantastic. Like, life's back to normal, you know. And if they've got one, they know the other one's coming in a couple of uh, weeks. And quite a lot of people have got both, you know. Um, having said that, so so this thing where you need to actually still take care of yourself, I think, you know, we haven't really got that message out as when I say we I mean Sausage Johnson hasn't really got that message out as as uh, as well as he could have um, having said that though also having said that having said that uh, yesterday we went out for a meal and it was incredible like my uh, my partner my son to celebrate Father's Day it's Father's Day today as I um, talk to you and It was brilliant. It was a little pub in the middle of Dartmoor. I mean, you know, there's no... Basically, it's like the safest place apart from, I don't know, some rural... Like, it's very rural. It's like middle of bloody Dartmoor, you know? So it was a pub. Everyone was wearing a mask. We were inside, but we were in a room, this little kind of snug um, room on, on our own. And it felt totally safe, like absolutely safe, you know? And you needed to wear a mask when you stood up and went to the toilet, obviously. But, of course, we weren't wearing a mask when the three of us were in the room on our own. And it just felt like we don't really go out for meals, like, ever. Um, But it's a kind of simple enough proposition, isn't it? People going out for a meal. But it did feel really nice and the food was brilliant, which helped, you know. But um, it felt really, really lovely, and it did feel totally safe. Now, having said that, and this brings me into the... I'm doing a lot of the old having said that thing. Yeah, it's the new obviously, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I I started sneezing last couple of days, and I'm in a job where I, uh, you know, don't socially... I do wear a mask, and it's a good mask, but I'm not socially distancing from probably about... Well, like up to a hundred people every day, the same people. Like, well, not quite the same, but you know, there's a there's a t- bunch of people that I'm kind of not socially distancing from every day. It's probably around eighty or a hundred people every day. So, I have been double vaccinated, as you bloody know, and I am wearing the mask. But it wouldn't be impossible by any stretch of the imagination for me to get COVID nineteen. You know. So I started sneezing and it reminded me of um, the new bloody things to look out for. The, the symptoms have essentially, they've all changed for the Delta variant, right? And this is, um, I'm going to play you Tim Spector from the Zoe app. And Tim Spector does kind of highlight, you know, these aren't necessarily connected to the Delta variant, they're just what you are reporting to us that you have, um, you know, when you're kind of uh, doing your uh, update every day, whether you feel OK or whether you don't feel OK on the Zoe app. Um, but we do know that, that these are the these are the symptoms. So he does have to kind of caveat it by saying, you know, I'm not saying 
that these are the symptoms, but they are the bloody symptoms. You know, these are the symptoms that are being <laughs> reported to Tim fucking... What's his name? Tim Vine, is it? What's his name? <laughs> Tim Vine. Um... <laughs> Oh no, it's Tim Spector, isn't it? Such a weird name, Spector. Wonder if he listens to Paranormal Blip. Fucking should with that name. Fucking should. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off track now. Now. Um, right, so, sneezing. Did a bloody test. Yeah, because we've got loads of them. They are the LLP tests. So there's a chance that I do have COVID, you know, but the tip from according to the LLP test, whatever they're called, LPR, lateral LFT, yeah, lateral flow test. According to that, I do not have COVID-19, which is very good, but I am sneezing quite a bit. And on the Zoe uh, website, it talks about, you know, if you're sneezing, you don't know why, then you might have COVID. Fucking hell. So anyway, here's Tim. And look, Tim has stolen my long hand. Listen to this. He doesn't doing it as good as me. He doesn't doing it as good as me. Listen to this. And because of your data, every day reporting what's going on, we can get an up-to-date picture of what the virus is, is causing in people. So we have a snapshot here of what's been happening since the beginning of May. And we have uh, a list of the top five symptoms. Now, these are not necessarily the symptoms that best predict whether you have it, and uh, it's, it's not a refined analysis, it's not necessarily related to the uh, new Delta variant, it's just what we're seeing in the, the vast majority of uh, cases that are testing positive with a PCR test. And if we look at the, the list, we see headache is still there as number one in about 60% of people. But we're seeing uh, runny nose and sore throat becoming uh, much more common going up that list, as well as sneezing, which is often uh, confused with uh, hay fever. And we're seeing uh, persistent cough is the only one of the uh, government classic symptoms that makes the top five. Now, fever uh, is now down at number seven and loss of smell number nine. So that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I like the way it says not necessarily connected to the Delta variant. Well, fucking 99% of the um, infections are the Delta variant. So I understand he's a scientist, old Tim Spector. But, you know, obvious, like these are the things to look out for now, right? Yeah, so forget about lack of smell. Forget about fatigue as well, which is quite interesting. Um, but do remember the uh, headache, runny nose, sore throat, sweating, no, sorry, sneezing, and persistent cough.
What a tale my thoughts could tell Just like an old time movie About a ghost from a wishing well In a castle dark Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet You know that ghost is me And I will never be set free As long as I'm a ghost You can't see The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup Or disappear into the potter's ground When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So this week a report uh, looking at the cover-up of the murder of Daniel Morgan was released. And Daniel Morgan was murdered in 1987. Uh, an axe was like in his head. Uh, he was 37 years old. He had two children. He was a private investigator. A police investigation was immediately set up and straight away ran into problems when it turned out that one of the officers investigating the murder had been moonlighting for the investigations firm run by um, Morgan and his business partner, whose name is Jonathan Rees. And this is from Wales Online, I'm reading this report. Over the next 34 years, the Welsh investigators' family were subjected to a total farce as five police investigations failed to bring anyone to justice for the brutal murder. It wasn't just the lack of convictions that cast doubt on the police inquiry. Links between people being um, investigated in newspapers like the News of the World emerged as well. Throughout the process and many setbacks, the Morgan family were relentless in their pursuit of justice. This led to an establishment of an independent panel, which today accused the Metropolitan Police of a form of institutional corruption for concealing or denying failings over the unsolved murder. So let's just go now to um, the ITV news reporter, whose name is Sangeeta Lal, Sangeeta Lal, and here is her report on the case. Firstly, that independent panel chairman, Baroness O'Lone, has accused the Metropolitan Police of a form of institutional corruption for concealing or denying failings 
over the murder of Daniel Morgan. She says its first objective was to protect itself for failing to acknowledge its failings since the murder more than 30 years ago in 1987. One of the other key findings of this report that we, we should talk about this afternoon is the personal criticism of the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Cresta Dick. Mm. The report accuses her of hampering with the inquiry. They say when she was the assistant commissioner, she held back access to certain files and that this delay has caused distress to the family. Now, what has happened with this independent panel it has, there's been multiple inquiries over the years, all spearheaded by Daniel Morgan's brother, Alistair Morgan, who's been trying to get justice for his brother. In 2013, the then Home Secretary, Theresa May, set up the independent panel. That is what we are finding now. Eight years later, the report findings of that independent panel, and today, for the first time, Baroness O'Lone has spoken about those findings. Despite four major police investigations, an inquest and several other operations, no one has ever been convicted of Daniel Morgan's murder. From the moment of his murder, there were serious failures of investigation, both at the scene, which was never searched, and during the first investigation. And also the Home Secretary, Preeti Patel, has told the Commons today a deeply alarming report into the murder of Daniel Morgan revealed examples of corrupt behaviour and a litany of mistakes by the Metropolitan Police which irreparably damaged the chances of successful prosecution. What about Daniel Morgan's family? As you say, they've been fighting for justice for decades. What's been their reaction to these findings about the Met? Well, they've had their suspicions for more than 30 years and have been, you know, as you say, spearheading this campaign to try and get justice for Daniel Morgan. Baroness O'Lone said the family of Daniel Morgan and the public are owed an apology and they spoke today too. The panel's report has finally named the sickness that needs to be addressed. We find in the report an accurate reflection of our lived experience, the complicity and worse of the British state in all its guises, in the police corruption and criminality that has wrecked our lives. There is so much to this inquiry. They are just some of the headlines, but hopefully some of those headlines will offer Daniel Morgan's family some closure. Thank you, Talal. Thank you very much. And uh, we will, of course, get uh, more reaction to this uh, story, uh, this developing story. Brilliant. Yeah, so um, unbelievable. Not only are the um, Met Police corrupt, but like the lawyer said for the um, Morgan family, every aspect of the British state uh, complicit in that corruption. So this is Britain again, you know, this is Britain. This is the uh, toxic, poisonous, hate-filled country, utterly corrupt. It's been like it for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And, you know, the arc of the moral universe, it, well, is fucking moving slowly, if at all, in this country. Episode 228. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And we are now going to think of the quail. The quail! Have you ever eaten quail? I feel a little bit guilty this week because I have eaten chicken twice. And I can't remember the last time I ate chicken twice. Oh, it's a good one, chicken twice. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, think of the bloody quail, will you, please? A bit smaller than the old chicken, isn't it? Yeah. One, two, three, walk between the raindrops, 
Take care of yourselves, wear masks, social distance, get your jab, and uh, what's the other bloody thing? Oh yeah, don't let any bastard breathe on you. Oh, sounds a bit like a ghost, and that reminds me. After this, we've got Paranormal Blip, pretty good one. Bobbles is something bloody interesting. Anyway, see you later. That music can only mean one thing, and it means paranormal blip. And we've got Eisenhower. Eisenhower, yeah, that's going to get them listening, putting that in the episode description. Right, here he is. Now, listen, the reason why I'm telling you about Eisenhower is because... There's this extraordinary claim made a couple of years ago, 2013, actually, from a guy that um, that that uh, said he was um, a CIA operative, and he was told, you know, you're never allowed to talk about these things. But he then start, he got this horrible lung condition, and he thought, fuck it, pal, I'm going on the record, yeah. That's why I roll. And so he said these extraordinary things, right? Get this. He said that... Okay, so first of all, there's a... Um, there's a UFO historian called Richard Dolan. Now, Richard Dolan is a kind of, you know, stand-up... One of the guys that you can trust in this whole um, escapade. I mean, I don't talk about the people that I don't trust, obviously, right? And there's lots of stuff that I'm doing in this world of finding out about the paranormal that I'm not even talking to you about in my little, you know, 10-15 minutes per week. So, if I'm talking about it here, then, you know, I know my biscuits. So, you know, there is a bit of speculation around the, um, like, whether this guy did what he did and whether what this guy is saying is true. But we we can definitely say that the people that set up this um, interview with him when he got in contact with people in the UFO community and said, listen, I've got something big to say, the people that they kind of organised for him to talk to, Richard Dolan and Jeremy Corbell, they've got a proven track record of, you know, being kind of, you know, trusted um, sources. Jeremy Corbell clearly is kind of in the news all the time because he is the kind of go-to guy, it seems, him and George Knapp are working together like every couple of weeks they're releasing new stuff which is then you know confirmed as being legitimate footage 
by the Pentagon. So you can trust Corwell, you can trust Knapp. And from what I know of uh, Richard Dolan, he's a, you know, just a very good researcher. And his uh, line of expertise is uh, presidents, American presidents' relationship with all of this stuff, and specifically with the kind of UFOs, right? So here's a bit of a back, you know, story to get to where we're going today on Paranormal Blip. Essentially, this um, CIA operative, 77, with this horrible lung condition, with a couple of weeks to live, spoke to Richard Dolan on the record, filmed interview, which is on YouTube, and he said that Eisenhower had asked him into the Oval Office, President Eisenhower, 1958, um, him and his boss in the CIA asked them into the Oval Office and said, we have asked the people in Area 51 to tell us what they're doing and they are not telling us what they're doing. They're saying that we don't have the accreditation to find out. But here's the thing, pal. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This isn't Eisenhower's actual words. Here's the thing, pal. Um, I'm the president. That motherfucker's telling me I can't do it. You go down there to Area 51 and you say... Now, this is a quote. And if I don't... Uh, if I'm going to get the first... I'm, And if I don't... Hold on. Fucking backtrack a little bit. I want you... So this is a quote, right? This is what this CIA operative said. Eisenhower. Eisenhower. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, Haribo. Eisenhower. Why haven't they made Eisenhower's? Because it's not the 50s, maybe? Anyway, um, I want to... So this is what the guy says that Eisenhower said. I, I want you to tell them... What's he sound like? I want you to tell them, whoever is in charge, I want you to tell them that they have this coming week to get into Washington and to report to me. And if they don't... I'm going to get the first army from Colorado. We are going to go over and take the base over. I don't care what kind of classified material you got. We are going to rip this thing apart. Unbelievable. How fucking cool is that? Eisenhower threatened to invade Area 51. Fucking mad. Like Dolan listens to this. Richard Dolan listens and he says, Eisenhower... Eisenhower was going to invade Area 51? And the agent, with 77-year-old, with a lung problem, says, yeah, man, fucking listen up. So, they go, so they're sent to Area 51, these two CIA dudes, right? They go there, what do they see? Fucking flying saucers, not only that, a fucking alien. And the, and the boss partially interviewed this alien this grey alien. Unbelievable. And then he goes back and to go back to Eisenhower and tells them, and interestingly, Hoover was in the room apparently as well. And fucking uh, Nixon was in there as well. And you know that old story of Nixon in relation to UFOs? Apparently, he was uh, golfing with Jackie Gleason and he said to Jackie, uh, do you want to see something cool? and took him to a bloody military base, like got them to fly to a, to a military base. I think it might have been, was it Wright-Patterson? I'm not sure, but well, anyway, some bloody military base. And showed him 
a UFO. Isn't that mad? And Jackie Gleason then um, built a UFO house in his garden, like this extraordinary, beautiful, beautifully designed house that he called the mothership. The mothership. So anyway, so there was um, that, that's uh, that's a, it's like offshoot. So so we've got this situation then where Eisenhower is told um, by this guy. Uh, well, these two CIA dudes. Yeah, fucking, you won't believe it, pal. They got spaceships there. Not only spaceships. Not only the flying saucers, but they've got a bloody alien as well. Huh. And then apparently, because of this unbelievable thing whereby and i've heard this before like nixon uh, not nixon clinton tried to do it we know we don't know yet how far obama kind of went but obama said in that interview on the um james corden show oh yeah we asked and they said there's nothing here you know it seems to be a kind of repeating um uh, pattern yeah like anything like a pattern that uh presidents are basically not given access to this information okay it seems like bizarre that they're not but it seems like they are not um why is that well i'm not sure why that is probably because they're only in office for eight uh eight years at the most you know and probably the people that do have this information feel that they can't trust uh presidents that they probably don't know and there's like a tiny number of people that do know this information if i mean of course it's all, all speculation you know there is some hard evidence that we, we will get to in a minute but certainly this cia operative is speculation and continuing on the speculation route with eisenhower apparently his whole kind of frustration around this area is directly why he gave this famous address when part of the um farewell address when he left the um, White House, uh, the military industrial complex warning. So here it is, his little snapshot. In the councils of government, we must car- guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals. There we go. So now coming right up to date, an interview that. Uh, Jeremy Corbell gave to Duncan Trussell. The Duncan Trussell Family Hour is the name of the podcast, and I will uh, do a link to it in this uh, in the show notes. So Corbell was asked about I don't know what the question was, but basically that just talks about um, actual material, you know, properties, stuff from UFOs that we that we fucking the U.S. government probably there's no doubt about it that. If they have it, then Britain has it as well, and probably France and Italy and, you know, many other countries around the world as well. There are definitely other places as well as the United States, but he's obviously talking as an American citizen. And so, bits of metal. We talked about this in the past, metamaterial. Metamaterial, you know, they've kind of got the waveguides, and so they 
uh, responsible for the, um, you know, kind of supposed or theorized gravitational bubble, which means that they can do all of those things that kind of defies our understanding of um, how machines work and, you know, the uh, lack of, um, uh, what's the word, like robustness when it comes to, you know, the bloody craft moving at like 60 Mac, for instance, return of the Mac. <laughs> is it, is it, do they say Mac or match? Match four. Is it match? Is it Mac? Mac? <laughs> anyway, here's Corbel. Senator Harry Reid has said this, who is the guy that started OSAP, the UFO government program that we've all heard of, yes. right? He identified Lockheed Martin as one of the companies that he has been told for decades has material. I can confirm for you personally that they do. Now, I didn't say a whole spaceship, a whole craft. However, I will caveat this with numerous uh, private industry companies have pieces of, of technology, hardware. However, we do have full craft. We do. We've been exploiting these technologies for decades, trying to reverse engineer with modern Earth materials. Our limiting factor is the material science, the way the atoms are perfectly atomically layered, which create metamaterials, which are like the sheaths and the skin of the, the way these things are built. We can't do it. Not today, not 20 years ago, not 40 years ago, maybe in a hundred years, a thousand years. But even if we can replicate the metamaterials where it's perfect atomic layering, where the orientation of differential, the atoms are so perfect that they have unique properties. And to bring it down to earth for you, imagine this. Graphene is a metamaterial. How they figured it out was they took scotch tape, they put it on like pencil lead, but graphite basically. Yeah. And they, they realized when they lifted it up, it's these perfect hexagonal shaped uh, atomic layers of 100% oriented perfect graphite. Now I have two pieces of graphene. Like you come to my house, I'll, I'll show you. They're superconductors. They're pieces you can write with them like you could a piece of lead, but they're atomically layered perfectly. Now, I've got one that is a five degree orientation, which is from Russia. And then I've got one that's a one degree orientation or three degree. It's a little bit better. And that's from China. These are used in like different types of weapon systems, but they're little pieces of just material. But the difference is one of them i push into an ice cube and the heat transfers from my finger and it's like a hot knife through butter but you're just holding a piece of it's it's the weirdest wow. feeling in the world this shows you this shows you what material science why it's important yeah so i take this five degree orientation differential one and i push it into an ice cube and it stops midway but if i take the one from china that's at three degree or one degree orientation i'm not sure it goes straight through the ice cube before it gets ice cold and stops penetrating. And the wow. reason is it trans it's a superconductor, transfers the heat from my body into this material. So what I'm wow. saying is this, what I'm saying is this. So weird. It is so weird, but this is so important. Materials, the way they're made, they're called meta materials. They're, they don't exist naturally in the universe, but we create them. The better we get at that, the more we realize these materials have unique properties that don't exist in nature from, from a, a electric 
um, disbursement to uh, thermal uh, fluxing where it heats up and expands or contracts. Like there's just an article last week about how they got a material that doesn't expand with heat now. And that's so important. Like when you're bringing in a craft, like one of our shuttles, it heats up so much. We have so many damage problems because of the heat. So these metamaterials are the future. Once we can learn to atomically print we can, in a zero gravity environment, you can have perfectly sphere atomic structures, perfectly oriented. That's the level of technology that we are seeing, that we have possession of in these craft from another technologically advanced civilization, wherever they come from, either from other star systems or if it's like ultra terrestrial, meaning they've been here the whole time and All we're right. starting to kind of meet them. So. Ultra terrestrial, wow. Yeah, ultra terrestrial, extra terrestrial, extra temporal, and my favorite, which I kind of came up with because I'm going to be doing something about this called techno terrestrials. It's this uh, philosophy of, of what I think might be happening. But anyway, here's Wait, the Wait, just to, I'm sorry to stop you on the techno terrestrials. Do you mean. Well, anyway, you're going to keep listening <laughs> there. If you, it's fascinating stuff, obviously, if you listen to Paranormal Blip, but that's Duncan's. <laughs> Duncan's. That's Duncan. So get Duncan on the uh, on the link, and it just goes on. I mean, ultra terrestrial is fucking lovely, fucking lovely. But it's uh, how extraordinary is that? Absolutely extraordinary. He's saying that they are they we do have craft. I mean, it comes back to Bob Lazar, obviously, and it's interesting because there are some people that I take very seriously in all of this, and I haven't spoken much about Bob Lazar because I'm still trying to kind of make my mind up. Obviously, Corbell knows Bob Lazar and made the documentary with Bob Lazar, and I do trust Corbell. But at the same time, I trust Christopher Mellon. And Christopher Mellon, I mean, who knows? You know, I'm not entirely, I haven't quite made up my own mind about um, everything to do with, um, with um, uh, Bob Lazar. But. Essentially, this is what Bob Lazar has been saying for a long time. And we do know that metamaterials are like, you know, kind of, we know that. Bloody Jacques Vallée has got metamaterials and he's working with a guy called Gary Nolan in um, Silicon Valley, trying to figure out the properties of metamaterials, like right now, you know, they're in that film, um, The Phenomena, where if you're new to this, then, you know, look at The Phenomena. Is it called The Phenomena or The Phenomenon? I think it might be called The Phenomenon, and it's directed by James Fox. So, um, so yeah, so there we go. Another blockbuster week in the world of Paranormal Blip. And there's lots of stuff that I'm doing behind the scenes that I'm not reporting on, like I just said, up to you. But it's very, very fascinating. And at one stage, I do want to kind of crystallise my own views and my own thoughts on this. Tech, uh, tech terrestrials is quite an interesting um, idea, and I was listening to this guy yesterday, who's a um, expert on DMT, and he was talking about the effect that DMT has and the kind of interdimensional world that people visit after five minutes. So you take some DMT, which is this incredible, like it's the most abundant um, psychotropic molecule. Like it's everywhere, basically. This dude was saying it's everywhere. Like it's in every, not every plant, but it's like all over the place. You look out the window, you're probably going to see a plant with, you know, small element, small traces of DMT in it. So it's quite easy to get your hands on the DMT. 
you pop it in your mouth, close your eyes, five minutes later, you're in this interdimensional, like, other-verse. <laughs> you're only there for 20 minutes, because then you wake up and your life has changed. So, extraordinary. And he was talking about how, if you think about the kind of window of, um, like, the knowledge that beings would have to have in terms of... Uh, Uh, looking out and kind of exploring uh, off-world sites. Um, You know, we've started doing this, what, like roughly, I mean, you know, less than 100 years ago, as humans. And it will be, like, even now, we're having conversations about... I heard the other day that in the 1960s, 1962, um, the CIA had worked out how to put a chip in a dog, a micro a microchip in a dog, in a dog's brain, and control the dog, right? I mean, it's, and now, like, you know, whatever, 50 years later, we're getting to the stage where Elon Musk is doing that with the Neuralink, yeah? So even, uh, I mean, that's kind of extraordinary. If Even if you, and I do trust the guy that, that's, um, I think his name is Stephen Greenwald, who uh, does the Black Vault, which is fascinating, fascinating website his whole thing is doing freedom of information requests that he's like um gets loads and loads and loads of freedom of information requests uh, concerning ufos mainly but um you know he said this thing about the um the cia and the dog and he he, he doesn't kind of talk flippantly about stuff he wasn't speculating he was just saying this is a fact like this has happened you know and i wouldn't put it past the cia to do that with to a poor little doggy but uh, the fact is that you then, we're having these conversations about how to become less human and more, um, you know, connected to machines. And this DMT expert, whose name I can't remember, uh, he was saying that they'll, they'll soon, you know, in a kind of small time, like I don't know exactly when, but like, you know, say 500 years or so, it will be inconceivable that we will want to limit ourselves to kind of biological aging, dying bodies when we have the uh, technological capacity to ditch our bloody bodies that die and make us sick and, you know, just get in the way, basically. And we just become kind of consciousnesses, essentially. Connected consciousnesses. And he then said... There is really no doubt about it in his mind that any being that is capable of traversing uh, galaxies or dimensions, they're not going to be interested in having biological shapes, you know? So what are these things that are happening to us? What are these? Are they some kind of, um, you know, droids, essentially? Are they some kind of robots? Are they some kind of... Uh, technological creatures that aren't biologically kind of reproducing as we know, you know, kind of life to be, but there's something else, there's something other, something like deeply strange. Deeply strange. Anyway, there's a bumper of bloody paranormal blip for you. Right, see you later.